0: monster kiddos. My name is Kenny Copper, and welcome to my kaiju crypt, which means this show is caught in 4K. <laughs> I hope you're laughing because you wouldn't want to wind up like that poor unfortunate soul that refused to laugh at my brilliant jokes. Let's just say he found himself on the deep end of a very unfortunate situation. (laughs) Old natey boy may have his little film vault, but my Kaiju Crypt, TM, is where all the best monster stories are kept. And since it's Halloween here on Ogasawara, the one day of the year me and my fellow yokai can roam freely and you silly humans can't do anything about it. <laughs> yes, I figured that I would take advantage of this situation and dig up some truffle. <laughs> yes, I do crack myself up. Today's story is The Voice in the Night, first published in November of 1907 and written by William Hope Hodson, who's almost a bigger weirdo than the reader. (laughs) But that is indeed Debatable. <laughs> the tale is about fungi, so I figured why not let it be read by a fun guy, get it? <laughs> None other than Monster Island's resident mad scientist, Dr. Dante Doreth. So do us all a favor and turn up the volume as high as it can go, so you can scare the pants off of your neighbors in the next mushroom. (laughs) 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 And without further ado, here is Dr. Dante Dorf reading The Voice in the Night.
1: Good evening, all you boils and ghouls out there. This is the voice of your favorite Monster Island Film Vault supporting character, Dr. Dante Dorif, Scientist, adventurer, philosopher, prophet, visionary, and all-around mushroom enthusiast. You might know me from my ongoing work with the Mitongo, the delicious and nutritiously beautiful monstrous gorgeous children my beautiful children that I live with underground here on the island <laughs> oh I love them so the visions they have shown me the things they've taught me the fact that I haven't succumbed to them mean something maybe not to you <laughs> but it does it does to me and soon <laughs> you'll all know and there won't be anything you can do to stop it <laughs> Anyway, I'm here to tell you all a story. You see, in addition to being all of the things I just said, I am, well, a bit of a literary nut, and <laughs> I do love to read. And I thought maybe, maybe this, this, this Halloween season, I could, I could share one of my favorite stories with you all. A little story you might have heard of that's very near and dear to my heart. A story called A Voice in the Night." Written by Mr. William Hope Hodgson. For those of you who may not be enlightened on topics like this, this was the story that inspired the Matongo story that, well, as you can see, it's obviously had a very deep impact on me. A very, very (laughs) deep impact. (laughs) I, I must control myself. I'm... I'm very excited to get started, and I I hope you are, too. (laughs) I hope you are, too. It's a very spooky story, and, well, even though I think it's perfect for every time of year, there's something about October that just makes it perfect. The leaves are changing, the air smells of monsters, and death and terrors yet unknown to mankind (laughs) no i mustn't i mustn't get too excited i mustn't get too excited so on this very spooky night i invite you to grab your favorite snack maybe even candy i'm a snickers man myself and 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 find a nice cozy spot in the darkness of your home cuddle up Grab a blanket, get comfy, get cozy. Sit back and listen to the mellifluous tones of my beautiful voice as they read to you of monsters coming out of the darkness and they tell you the tale of the voice in the night. Are you ready? Did you follow my instructions to the tea? Good. Then let's begin. It was a dark, starless night. We were becalmed in the northern Pacific, our exact position I did not know, for the sun had been hidden during the course of a weary, breathless week. By a thin haze which had seemed to float above us, about the height of our mastheads, at whiles descending and shrouding the surrounding sea. With there being no wind, we had steadied the tiller, and I was the only man on deck. The crew, consisting of two men and a boy, were sleeping forward in the den, while Will, my friend and the master of our little craft, was aft in his bunk on the port side of the cabin. Suddenly, from out of the surrounding darkness, there came a hail. Schooner ahoy! The cry was so unexpected that I gave no immediate answer because of my surprise. It came again, a voice, curiously throaty and inhuman, calling from somewhere upon the dark sea, away from our port broadside. Schooner ahoy! Hello, I sung out, having gathered my wits somewhat. What are you? What do you want? "'You need not be afraid,' answered the queer voice, "'having probably noticed some trace of confusion in my tone. "'I am only an old man.' "'The pause sounded oddly, "'but it was only afterward that it came back to me "'with any significance. "'Why don't you come alongside, then?' "'I queried somewhat snappishly, "'for I liked not his hinting "'at my having been a trifle shaken. "'I... I... I can't... It wouldn't be safe. I, The voice broke off, and there was silence. What do you mean? I asked, growing more and more astonished. Why not safe? Where are you? I listened for a moment, but there came no answer. And then, a sudden, indefinite suspicion of I knew not what coming over me. I stepped swiftly to the binnacle and took out the lighted lamp. At the same time, I knocked on the deck with my heel to waken will. Then I was back at the side, throwing the yellow funnel of light out into the silent immensity beyond the rail. As I did so, I heard a slight muffled cry, and then the sound of a splash, as though someone had dipped oars abruptly. Yet I cannot say that I saw anything with certainty, save "'It seemed to me that with the first flash of the light "'there had been something upon the waters "'where now there was nothing. "'Hello there,' I called. What, "'What foolery is this?' "'But there came only the indistinct sounds "'of a boat being pulled away into the night. "'Then I heard Will's voice "'from the direction of the after-scuttle.' What's up, George?" "Come here, Will," I said. "What is it?" he asked, coming across the deck. I told him the queer thing which had happened. He put several questions. Then, after a moment's silence, he raised his hands to his lips and hailed, "Boat! Ahoy!" From a long distance away there came back to us a faint reply, and my companion repeated his call. Presently there was a short period of silence there grew on our hearing the muffled sounds of oars, at which Will hailed again. This time there was a reply. Put away the light! I'm damned if I will, I muttered, but Will told me to do as the voice bade, and I shoved it down under the bulwarks. Come nearer, he said, and the oar-strokes continued. Then, when apparently some half-dozen fathoms distant, "'They again ceased. "'Come alongside!' exclaimed Will. "'There's nothing to be frightened of aboard here. "'Promise that you will not show the light. "'What's to do with you?' I burst out "'that you're so infernally afraid of the light. "'Because,' began the voice, and stopped short. "'Because what?' I asked quickly. "'Will put his hand on my shoulder.' "'Shut up a minute, old man,' he said, in a low voice. "'Let me tackle him.' "'He leant more over the rail. "'See here, mister,' he said, "'this is a pretty queer business, you coming upon us like this, "'right out of the middle of the blessed Pacific. "'Now how are we to know what sort of hanky-panky trick you're up to? "'You say there's only one of you. "'How are we to know unless we get a squint at you, eh? "'What's your objection to the light, anyway?' As he finished, I heard the noise of the oars again, and then the voice came, but now from a greater distance and, sounding extremely hopeless and pathetic, I am sorry, sorry, I would not have troubled you, only I am hungry, and so is she. The voice died away, and the sound of the oars dipping irregularly was borne to us. Stop, sung out Will. I don't want to drive you away. Come back. We'll we'll keep the light hidden if you don't like it. He turned to me. It's a damned queer rig, this, but I think there's nothing to be afraid of. There was a question in his tone, and I replied. No, I think the poor devil's been wrecked out there and gone crazy. The sound of the oars drew nearer. "'Shove that lamp back in the binnacle,' said Will, and he leaned over the rail and listened. I replaced the lamp and came back to his side. The dipping of the oars ceased, some dozen yards distant. "'Won't you come alongside now?' asked Will in an even voice. "'I have the lamp put back in the binnacle.' "'I—I cannot,' replied the voice. "'I dare not come nearer. I dare not even pay you for the—the provisions!' that's all right said will and hesitated you're welcome to as much grub as you can take again he hesitated you are very good exclaimed the voice may god who understands everything reward you it broke off huskily. the the lady said will abruptly is she i have left her behind upon the island came the voice what island i cut in "'I know not its name,' returned the voice. "'I would to God!' "'It began, and checked itself, as suddenly. "'Could we not send a boat for her?' asked Will at this point. "'No!' said the voice, with extraordinary emphasis. "'My God, no!' "'There was a moment's pause. "'Then it added, in a tone which seemed a merited reproach. "'It was because of our want I ventured, "'because her agony tortured me.' "'I am a forgetful brute!' exclaimed Will. "'Just one moment, whoever you are, and I will bring you up something at once!' "'In a couple minutes he was back, and his arms were full of various edibles. "'He paused at the rail. "'Can't you come alongside for them?' he asked. "'No, I dare not!' replied the voice. "'It seemed to me that in his tones I detected a note of stifling, craving—' As though the owner hushed a mortal desire, it came to me then in a flash. Out there in the darkness was suffering for actual need of that which Will held in his arms, and yet, because of some unintelligible dread, refraining from dashing to the side of our little schooner and receiving it. And with lightning-like conviction there came the knowledge that the invisible— was not mad but sanely facing some intolerable horror damn it will i said full of many feelings over which predominated a vast sympathy get a box we must float this stuff out to him this we did propelling it away from the vessel out into the darkness by means of a boat hook in a minute a slight cry from the invisible one came to us and we knew that he had secured the box A little later he called out a farewell to us, and so heartful a blessing that I'm sure we were the better for it. Then, without more ado, we heard the ply of oars across the darkness. "'Pretty soon off,' remarked Will, with perhaps a little sense of injury. "'Wait,' I replied. "'I think somehow he'll come back. He must have been badly needing that food.' "'And the lady,' said Will, for a moment he was silent.' "'Then he continued, "'It's the queerest thing I've ever tumbled across since I've been fishing.' "'Yes,' I said, and fell into pondering. "'And so the time slipped away. "'An hour, another, and still Will stayed with me, "'for the queer adventure had knocked all desire to sleep out of him. "'The third hour was three parts through when "'we heard again the sound of oars crossing the silent ocean.' "'Listen,' said Will, a low note of excitement in his voice. "'He's coming, just as I thought,' I muttered. "'The dipping of the oars grew nearer, "'and I noted that the strokes were firmer and longer. "'The food had been needed. "'They came to a stop a little distance off the broadside, "'and the queer voice came to us again through the darkness. "'Schooner, ahoy!' "'That you?' asked Will. "'Yes,' replied the voice. "'I left you suddenly, but... "'But there was a great need.' "'The lady questioned Will. "'The lady is grateful now on earth. "'She will be more grateful soon in... in heaven.' "'Will began to make some reply in a puzzled voice, "'but became confused and broke off short. "'I said nothing. "'I was wondering at the curious pauses, "'and apart from my wonder I was full of great sympathy. "'The voice continued. "'We, she and I, have talked as we shared the result of God's tenderness.' and yours will interposed but without coherence i beg of you not to to belittle your deed of christian charity this night said the voice be sure that it has not escaped his notice it stopped and there was a full minute silence then it came again we have spoken together upon that which which has befallen us we had thought to go out without telling any of the terror "'which has come into our lives. "'She is with me in believing "'that tonight's happenings are under a special ruling, "'and that it is God's wish that we should tell you all "'what we have suffered since. "'Since, yes?' said Will softly. "'Since the sinking of the albatross.' "'Ah!' I exclaimed involuntarily. "'She left Newcastle for Frisco some six months ago "'and hasn't been heard of since.' "'Yes,' answered the voice. "'But some few degrees to the north of the line "'she was caught in a terrible storm and dismasted. "'When the day came it was found that she was leaking badly "'and presently it was falling to a calm. "'The sailors took their boats, leaving, "'leaving a young lady, my fiancée.' And myself upon the wreck, we were below gathering together a few of our belongings when they left. they were entirely callous through fear, and when we came up upon the deck, we saw them only as small shapes afar off upon the horizon. Yet we did not despair, but set to work and constructed a small raft upon this, we put such few matters as it would hold, including a quantity of water and some ship's biscuits. Then, the vessel being very deep in the water, we got ourselves on the raft and pushed off. It was later that I observed. We seemed to be in the way of some tide or current, which bore us from the ship at an angle, so that in the course of three hours by my watch, her hull became invisible to our sight, her broken masts remaining in view for a somewhat longer period. Then, towards evening, it grew misty, And so through the night, the next day we were still encompassed by the mist, the weather remaining quiet. For four days we drifted through this strange haze, until, on the evening of the fourth day, there grew upon our ears the murmur of breakers at a distance. Gradually it became plainer, and somewhat after midnight it appeared to sound upon either hand at no very great space. The raft was raised upon a swell several times, and then we were in smooth water, and the noise of the breakers was behind. When the morning came, we found we were in a sort of great lagoon, but of this noticed little at the time. For close before us, through the enshrouding mist, loomed the hull of a large sailing vessel. With one accord we fell upon our knees, and thanked God. But we thought that here was an end to our perils. "'We had much to learn. "'The raft drew near to the ship, "'and we shouted on them to take us aboard, "'but none answered. "'Presently the raft touched upon the side of the vessel, "'and seeing a rope hanging downwards, "'I seized it and began to climb. "'Yet I had much ado to make my way up, "'because of a kind of grey, lichenous, fungus.' which had seized upon the rope and which blotched the side of the ship lividly. I reached the rail and clambered over it, onto the deck. Here I saw that the decks were covered in great patches with grey masses, some of them rising into nodules several feet in height. But at the time I thought less of this matter, more than the possibility of there being people aboard the ship. I shouted, but none answered. Then I went to the door below the poop-deck, i opened it and peered inside there was a great smell of staleness so that i knew in a moment that nothing living was within and within the knowledge i shut the door quickly for i felt suddenly lonely i went back to the side where i had scrambled up my my sweetheart was still sitting quietly upon the raft seeing me look down she called up to know whether there were any aboard of the ship I replied that the vessel had the appearance of having been long deserted, but that if she would wait a little I would see whether there was anything in the ship of a ladder by which she could ascend to the deck. Then we would make a search through the vessel together. A little later, at the opposite side of the decks, I found a rope-side ladder. This I carried across, and a minute afterwards she was beside me. "'Together we explored the cabins and apartments in the after-part of the ship. "'But nowhere was there any sign of life. "'Here and there within the cabins themselves, "'we came across odd patches of that queer fungus, "'but this, as my sweetheart said, could be cleansed away. "'In the end, having assured ourselves that the after-portion of the vessel was empty,' "'We picked our way to the bows between the ugly grey nodules of that strange growth, "'and here we made a further search that told us that there was indeed none aboard but ourselves. "'This being now beyond any doubt, we returned to the stern of the ship "'and proceeded to make ourselves as comfortable as possible. "'Together we cleared out and cleaned two of the cabins, "'and after that I made examination whether there was anything edible in the ship.' This I soon found was so, and thanked God in my heart for his goodness. In addition to this, I discovered the whereabouts of the fresh-water pump, and having fixed it, I found the water drinkable, though somewhat unpleasant to the taste. For several days we stayed aboard the ship, without attempting to get to the shore. We were busily engaged in making the place habitable, yet even thus early we became aware that our lot was even less to be desired than might have been imagined. As a first step... "'We scraped away the odd patches of growth "'that studded the floors and walls of the cabins and saloon, "'yet they returned almost to their original state "'within a space of twenty-four hours, "'which not only discouraged us, "'but gave us a feeling of vague unease. "'Still we would not admit ourselves beaten, "'so set to work afresh, "'and not only scraped away the fungus, "'but soaked the places where it had been "'with carbolic, "'a canful of which I had found in the pantry.' "'Yet by the end of the week the growth had returned in full strength, "'and in addition it had spread to other places, "'as though our touching it had allowed germs from it to travel elsewhere. "'On the seventh morning my sweetheart woke to find a small patch of it growing on her pillow, "'close to her face. "'At that she came to me, as soon as she could get her garments upon her. "'I was in the galley at the time, lighting the fire for breakfast.' "'Come here, John,' she said, and led me aft. "'When we saw the thing upon her pillow, I shut it, "'and then and there we agreed to go right out of the ship "'and see whether we could not fare to make ourselves more comfortable ashore. "'Hurriedly we gathered together a few belongings, "'and even among these I found that the fungus had been at work, "'for one of her shawls had a little lump of it growing near one edge. "'I threw the whole thing over the side without saying anything to her.' The raft was still alongside, but it was too clumsy to guide, and I lowered down a small boat that hung across the stern, and in this we made our way to the shore. Yet as we drew near to it, I became gradually aware that here the vile fungus which had driven us from the ship was growing riot. In places it rose into horrible, fantastic mounds, which seemed almost to quiver, as with a quiet life, when the wind blew across them. Here and there it took on the forms of vast fingers, and in others it just spread out flat and smooth and treacherous. Odd places it appeared as grotesque, stunted trees, seeming extraordinarily knitted and gnarled, the whole quaking vilely at times. At first it seemed to us that there was no single portion of the surrounding shore which was not hidden beneath the masses of the hideous lichen. Yet in this I found we were mistaken. For somewhat later, coasting along the shore at a distance, we descried a smooth white patch of what appeared to be fine sand, and there we landed. It was not sand. What it was I do not know. All that I have observed is that upon it The fungus will not grow, while everywhere else save where the sand-like earth wanders oddly, pathwise amid the grey desolation of the lichen, there is nothing but that loathsome greyness. It is difficult to make you understand how cheered we were to find one place that was absolutely free from the growth, and here we deposited our belongings. There we went back to the ship for such things as it seemed to us we should need. Among other matters, I managed to bring ashore with me one of the ship's sails, with which I constructed two small tents, which, though exceedingly rough-shaped, served the purpose for which they were intended. In these we lived and stored our various necessities, and thus for a matter of some four weeks we all went smoothly, and without particular unhappiness. Indeed, I may say, with much of happiness, for... "'for we were together. "'It was on the thumb of her right hand "'that the growth first showed. "'It was only a small circular spot, "'much like a little grey mole. "'My God, how the fear leapt into my heart "'when she showed me that place. "'We cleansed it between us, "'washing it with carbolic and water. "'In the morning of the following day "'she showed her hand to me again. "'The grey, warty thing had returned. "'For a little while we looked at one another in silence. "'Then, still wordless, we started again to remove it. "'In the midst of the operations, she spoke suddenly. "'What's that on the side of your face, dear?' "'Her voice was sharp with anxiety. "'I put my hand up to feel. "'There, under the hair by your ear. "'A little to the front, a bit.' "'My finger rested upon the place, and then I knew. "'Let us get your thumb done first, I said, "'and she submitted only because she was afraid to touch me until it was cleansed. "'I finished washing and disinfecting her thumb, "'and then she turned to my face. "'After it was finished, we sat together and talked a while of many things, "'for there had come into our lives sudden very terrible thoughts.' we were all at once afraid of something worse than death. We spoke of loading the boat with provisions and water and making our way out onto the sea, yet we were helpless for many causes, and and the growth had attacked us already. We decided to stay. God would do with us what he will. We would wait a month Two months, three months passed, and the places grew somewhat, and there had come others. Yet we fought so strenuously, with the fear that its headway was but slow, comparatively speaking. Occasionally we ventured off to the ship for such stores as we needed. There we found that the fungus grew persistently. One of the nodules on the main deck became soon as high as my head. We had now given up all thought or hope of leaving the island. We had realized that it would be unallowable to go among healthy humans and the things from which we were suffering. With this determination and knowledge in our minds, we knew that we would have to husband our food and water, for we did not know at the time, but we should possibly live for many years. This reminds me of what I told you, "'that I am an old man, "'judged by the years, this is not so, "'but, but... "'he broke off, "'then continued somewhat abruptly. "'As I was saying, "'we knew that we should have to use care "'in the matter of food, "'but we had no idea then "'how little food there was left "'to which to take care. "'It was a week later that I made the discovery "'that all the other bread-tanks, "'which I had supposed full... "'were empty, and that beyond odd tins of vegetables and meat and some other matters. "'We had nothing on which to depend, and the bread in the tank which I had already opened. "'After learning this I bestirred myself to do what I could "'and set to work at fishing in the lagoon, but with no success. "'At this I was somewhat inclined to feel desperate until the thought came to me "'that we try outside the lagoon.' In the open sea. Here at times I caught odd fish, but so infrequently that they proved of very little help in keeping us from the hunger which threatened. It seemed to me that our deaths were likely to come by hunger, and not by the growth of the thing which had seized upon our bodies. We were in this state of mind when the fourth month wore out, when I made a very horrible discovery. One morning— A little before midday, I came off the ship with a portion of the biscuits which were left. In the mouth of her tent I saw my sweetheart sitting, eating, something. What is it, my dear? I called out as I leapt ashore. Yet on hearing my voice she seemed confused and, turning slyly, threw something toward the edge of the little clearing. It fell short, and a vague suspicion having arised within me, I walked across and picked it up. It was a piece of the grey fungus. As I went to her with it in my hand, she turned deadly pale, then rose red. I felt strangely dazed and frightened. My dear, my dear, I said, and could say no more. Yet at words she broke down and cried bitterly. Gradually she calmed. I got from her the news that she had tried it the preceding day and, and had liked it. I got her to promise on her knees not to touch it again, however great our hunger. After she had promised, she told me that the desire for it had come suddenly, and that until the moment of desire, she had experienced nothing toward it but the most extreme repulsion. Later in the day, feeling strangely restless and much shaken with the thing with which I had discovered, I made my way along one of the twisted paths, formed by the white sand-like substance which led along the fungoid growth i had once before ventured along there but not to any great distance this time being involved in perplexing thought i went much further than hitherto suddenly i was called to myself by a queer hoarse sound on my left turning quickly i saw that there was movement among an extraordinarily shaped mass of fungus, close to my elbow. It was swaying uneasily, as though it possessed life of its own. Abruptly, as I stared, the thought came to me that the thing had a grotesque resemblance to the figure of a distorted human creature. Even as the fancy flashed into my brain, there was a slight sickening noise of and I saw that one of the branch-like arms was detaching itself from the surrounding grey masses and coming toward me. The head of the thing, a shapeless grey ball, inclined in my direction. I stood stupidly, and the vile arm brushed across my face. I gave out a frightened cry and ran back a few paces. There was a sweetest taste upon my lips where the thing had touched me i licked them and was immediately filled with an inhuman desire i turned and seized a mass of the fungus then more and more i was insatiable in the midst of devouring the remembrance of the morning's discovery swept into my amazed brain it was sent by god i dashed the fragment i held to the ground Then, utterly wretched and feeling a dreadful guiltiness, I made my way back to the little encampment. I think she knew, by some marvellous intuition, which love must have given as soon as she set eyes on me. Her quiet sympathy made it easier for me, and I told her of my sudden weakness, yet omitted the mention of the extraordinary thing which had gone before. I desired to spare her all unnecessary terror." But for myself I had added an intolerable knowledge to breed an incessant terror in my brain, for I doubted not but that I had seen the end of one of those men who had come to the island, in the ship, in the lagoon, and in that monstrous ending I had seen our own. Thereafter we kept from the abominable food, though the desire for it had entered into our blood, yet our drear punishment was upon us for day by day the monstrous rapidity the fungal growth took hold of our poor bodies nothing we could do would check it materially and so we who had been human became well it matters less each day only only that we had been man and maid and day by day the fight is more dreadful to withstand the hunger-lust for the terrible lichen. A week ago we ate the last of the biscuit, and since that time I have caught three fish. I was out here fishing to-night when your schooner drifted upon me out of the mist. I hailed you, you know the rest, and may God, out of his high, great heart, bless you for your goodness to a, a couple of poor. Outcast souls. There was a dip of an oar, another, then the voice came again, and for the last time, sounding through the silent surrounding mist, ghostly, and mournful, "God bless you." Goodbye. Goodbye. We shouted together, hoarsely, our voices full of many emotions. I glanced about me. I became aware that the dawn was upon us. The sun flung a stray beam across the hidden sea, pierced the mist dully, and lit up the receding boat with a gloomy fire. Indistinctly, I saw something nodding between the oars. I thought of a sponge, a great, grey-nodding sponge. The oars continued to ply. They were grey, as grey as the boat and my eyes searched a moment vainly for the conjunction of hand and oar. My gaze flashed back to the head. It nodded forward as the oars went backward for the stroke. Then the oars were dipped. The boat shot out of the patch of light, and the the thing went nodding into the mist. The End Happy Halloween.
0: <laughs> <laughs> A cautionary tale indeed that should SPORE you, onto good deeds monster kiddos. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you enjoyed the sultry tones of the good doctor as he was reading that delectable little story. I almost wanted to interrupt and tell him to get a shroom. <laughs> if you enjoyed that, do watch Matongo. It is truly a masterpiece of tokusatsu cinema. Dante does love it when people eat. Oh, I mean, watch. His children, they do grow up so fast, after all. (laughs) And until next time, monster kiddos, behave yourselves, or I'll give you such a pinch on the butt. (laughs) Happy Halloween, everyone!